This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Today we have a very fascinating class because one of the most famous prophetesses, there were only seven prophetesses, I want to go through the seven prophetesses in our history, but one of the most famous is Devorah. We talked a little bit about her last week, but Devorah basically broke the glass barrier. Devorah broke through the glass barrier. I'm going to talk about it. She was one of the seven prophetesses. Devorah was one of the seven prophetesses, the Gemara in Megillah, and it's in Megillah, page 14a. And Rashi gives a whole list of, of the 48 prophets. There are 48 male prophets. I'm going to talk a bit about that. And seven female prophets. Seven female prophetesses. I don't like to say prophetesses, but I'll just say seven female prophets, and you know what I'm talking about. Seven female prophets. And the first one was Sarah. Sarah was the wife of Abraham. And Hashem tells Abraham Avinu, Kol asher toma elecha Sarah, shema bekola. Whatever Sarah tells you, listen to her voice. So Rashi says over there, listen to her voice. This is the voice of her prophecy. Because her prophecy was greater than Abraham's prophecy. You know, someone asked me last week. said, how come Hashem tells Abraham you're going to have a son? And later on, the angels come and they tell Sarah that she's going to have a son. How come Abraham didn't tell Sarah she's going to have a son? How come Abraham didn't tell her that Hashem talked to him and said that he's going to have a son and she's going to have a son? How come she had to wait for the angels to come and tell her? So I told him this is the reason. The reason is because Sarah was a greater prophet than Abraham. And if Hashem didn't reveal this information to her, Abraham is not going to reveal it to her. He assumed that she knew. And if she didn't know, Hashem had a reason why not to tell her. Because she was a greater prophetess. She should know everything in the uh, first hand. So the fact that Hashem didn't reveal it to her, him, to her, uh, Abraham says, if Hashem wants to reveal it to her, he'll reveal it to her. Otherwise, I'm not going to tell her. Which is, seems strange, right? But we see this later on as well in the story of Yosef. Because Yitzhak was still alive when Yosef was sold. And Yitzhak Avino, it says, knew where, Yitzhak, where, where Yosef was. Yitzhak knew that Yosef was in Mitzrayim. But since Hashem did not reveal this information to Yaakov, Yitzhak says, listen, Yaakov is also, he's also a great uh, prophet. Why did, if Hashem wants to tell him, he'll tell him. If Hashem doesn't want to tell him, why should I tell him? In other words, Hashem does not want me to tell him. If Hashem does not reveal the information, it's a sign Hashem does not want me to tell him. So interesting. So we see over here that Sarah, the great, the great woman, Sarah, our, our mother, Sarah Emenu, our mother, who's buried in Hebron, with the forefathers um, and uh, all the other mothers, except for Rachel, she was a great prophetess. So she was the first female prophetess in our history. The first female prophetess in our history was Sarah. And her name was changed from Sarai, which means my princess, to Sarah, which means the princess of the world. And uh, it's the, the, the Midrash says she had a few miracles in her house. Number one is a bread will remain fresh all week long. Number two is the Shabbat candles were light and burned till the following Friday, whole week. And number three is there was a cloud over her tents, the, which is the sign of the, of the Shekhinah. Hashem's presence was over her tent. So it says when she passed away, which is last week's parasha, Chaye Sarah, she passed away. Her life was 100 years and 20 years and 7 years. And the rabbis explained, Rashi brings it down over there. And she was 100. She was as pure of sin as a girl of 20. And she, when she was 20, she was beautiful as a girl of seven. So that's why 120 and 70 years. 
Okay, that's the first prophetess, Sarah Imenu, our mother Sarah. The second prophetess was Miriam. Miriam, the sister to two prophets. Miriam was from a tremendous family. Amram and Yocheved had this family of prophets. Amazing. Three siblings, all prophets. This is wild. And Halabai, we can see this again in our history where a person has children, all prophets. Can imagine? <laughs> Hard to imagine, right? So uh, it says Miriam was the oldest. Miriam was the oldest. And then Aaron and then Moshe. And Miriam was a prophetess. How do we know? So Midrash says that she, her parents, after they heard the decree of Pharaoh, that he's uh, to kill all the male children in the Nile, they separated from each other. And she has a vision and she tells her parents, your decree is worse than Pharaoh's decree. You are making a decree not just against the boys, but against the girls as well. So Pharaoh is going to throw away the boys in the river, but you're going to kill all the women. You're going to prevent all the girls to be born as well. So anyway, so it's very interesting. So here we are, Sarah, number one, number two, Miriam. And Miriam, it says when they crossed the Red Sea or the Reed Sea, is more accurate, when they crossed the Reed Sea, it says she sang as well. The girls, the women sang also a song separately. They sang a song to Hashem. It says they took their musical instruments. So the commentaries say that's Miriam's prophecy. Miriam knew that they're going to have to sing. And she told all the women, take your musical instruments with you. So she was a prophetess. One of the most famous prophetesses, we have her to thank for the fact that Moshe Rabbeinu survived. She looked after him. She predicted his birth. She, she made sure her parents would not separate. And uh, because of her, Moshe Rabbeinu was born. Because of her, we had water in the desert. For 40 years, it says, Be'er Miriam. The water in the desert was in her merit. So this is Miriam, the prophet number two, prophetess number two, female prophet number two, Sarah. And number two is Miriam. And number three is Devorah, which we're going to talk about today. Devorah is number three prophet. Now, Devorah really shattered the glass ceiling. Why does she, how does she shatter the glass ceiling? Because she was not only a prophetess, there were two already before her, but she was also a judge. Now, in Jewish law, the Shulchan says women are not allowed to be a Dianim. They're not allowed to be judges. But here we have, here is a judge, a prophetess who is a judge. And we don't find any other... Uh, women who have judges. This is the one and only, I think, in the Tanakh. If you know of anyone else, let me know. But I think that's the one and only. Devorah was the only one who was also a judge. And we're going to talk about that. How could she be a judge? Women are not to be judges. And the answer is, it was not her. It was the Ruach HaKodesh. It was the divine inspiration in her that was the judge. In other words, Hashem, uh, the people said, listen, it's not just her judging. It's all God's information coming to her and they could see it was prophecy so they made her a judge it was god's spirit talking through her who was judging them so she was a prophetess and that's how she became a judge but miriam is number three and we're going to talk a bit about her today number four was hannah hannah was the mother of shmuel of samuel shmuel mother of shmuel hannah and hannah also was a prophetess in fact a lot of the laws of prayer, how to pray, we learn from Hannah. Hannah is a prophetess. She taught us how to pray. The fact that we pray silently and we move our lips and barely any words come out, any noise comes out, going to Kabbalah, nothing should come out. You should just move your lips. 
according to Shulchan Aruch, he says you should hear what you're saying, but no one else should hear what you're saying. No one else should hear. Some people pray very loudly. They go whisper, and it's uh, very hard to concentrate, and it's not allowed. A person should not whisper loudly. It's purely between man and God. The prayer is something which is, should be totally between man and God. We learn it from Hannah. The fact that her lips were moving and Ellie thought she was drunk. Ellie, the high priest, thought she was drunk. We see, we learn from there the laws of prayer. We learn from Hannah the laws of prayer. She predicted, she knew she's going to have a son who's going to be one of the greatest prophets. She had that prophecy. Hannah was married to also, her husband also is one of the 48 prophets, Elkanah. And she had no offspring. And her other co-wife was Penina. And the Penina had many children, and Hannah never had any children. And when she was so sad, she went to the Mishkan, and she cried over there, and she was praying. And that's where we learned the laws of prayer. So interesting, Hannah, prophetess number four. Now, number five, most people have never heard of. Number five is one of the wives of King David, who was previously married to a guy called Naval. Naval literally means uh, carcass. Or evil, Naval was like his name. He, 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 we're going to talk about it when we talk about David Melech. Naval, uh, he was, uh, the Kabbalah says he was Lavan uh, reincarnated. Lavan is the letters of Naval backwards. So Naval, Nun, Bet, Lamed. La, uh, Lavan is Lamed, Bet, Nun. So interesting, Naval uh, was this guy who uh, really rebelled against David. And David wanted to kill him. But his wife, uh, she was a big tzedeket, Abigail, and she was a prophetess. Prophetess number five, Abigail, saved her husband's life and stopped David from killing her husband, who eventually died anyway. And when he died, she married David. She was a prophetess. And we're going to talk a bit about him, about her later on in our series, Bezrat Hashem. And she uses proofs from Jewish law. She was brilliant. This woman was brilliant. Abigail. Prophetess number five. Prophetess number six, Hulda. Hulda, if you go to the Temple Mount today, you know, not on the Temple Mount, but outside Temple Mount, you can go around the Temple Mount. Um, if you stand in the Kota on the right side, there's an archaeological dig. Go around there, and you'll see the steps, the original steps going up to the Temple. The original steps, they unearthed going up to the Temple. We talked a bit about it last week. And there, there's a beautiful gate, which is not open today. And that is called the Hulda Gate. Hulda Gate was named after the prophetess Hulda, who lived at the end of the first temple period, who was a prophetess at the time of Yirmiyahu, Jeremiah. So towards the end of the temple period, Hulda, the great prophetess, uh, she, in other words, the, the Jews knew things are going on. They said, let's not ask Jeremiah. He, he has bad prophecies. Let's not ask him. Let's ask a woman. A woman is more tender. She'll give us a better prophecy. She'll give us a more generous prophecy. And unfortunately, she had to convey what Hashem told her. And what Hashem told her was not so great in terms of uh, forgiveness and compassion because the Jews had really rebelled against Hashem. And tragically, um, she uh, gave a very tough prophecy. But she said the king of Judah, which was Josiah at that time. Josiah was one of the biggest study king. Josiah did Teshuvah, and she gives him a good prophecy. She says, before, because your heart was tender, and you humbled yourself before the Lord, when you heard what I decreed against this place and against its inhabitants, and you rent your clothes, and you wept before me, I heard you. Therefore, I will gather you unto your fathers, and you will go to your grave in peace. 
This is a prophecy to the, the King Josiah, which Huldah gave. You will not see the misfortune which I will bring to this place. So that is the prophetess Huldah. Number six, Huldah. Number seven, the last prophetess we have on our list mentioned in the Talmud is Esther. Esther, Queen Esther from the Purim story. Imagine Queen Esther. We don't, we don't think of Queen Esther as a prophetess. How do we know she's a prophetess? Because she wrote with Mordechai, who was also one of the prophets, one of the 48 prophets, the book of Esther. So she was a prophetess. She wrote, it says, with divine inspiration. They wrote the book of Esther. The only woman to author a book in the Torah. The only woman to author a book in the Torah was the prophetess Esther. She was the Jewish girl who rose to the occasion and saved the Jewish people single-handedly in the time of Purim. And uh, she was taken to the palace against the will, and she used her position to expose the evil Haman and his designs. And she saved all the Jewish people. And she wrote the book of Esther with Mordecai, who was also a prophet. So let's just quickly go through the list again. Number one prophetess, Sarah. Sarah Imenu. Um, she was the wife of Abraham. And Hashem says, Abraham, listen to what she says. Shema Bekola, she has the voice of prophecy. Number two, Miriam, who is a family of prophets, Aaron. Miriam, Moshe, the family of prophets, three prophets in that family, Miriam, the great Miriam, who saved and raised her brother Moshe for a short period. And number three is Devorah, which we're going to talk about today. Devorah, who shattered the glass ceiling because she wasn't only a prophetess, she was a judge. Wow, that's amazing. She was a judge as well. And we talked a bit about that and the fact that she was a judge because she spoke with the divine voice the voice of god spoke through her and therefore the jews accepted her rulings as a judge because they knew it wasn't her talking it was the divine spirit inside her talking. amazing number four was hannah hannah the mother of shmuel hanavi samuel the prophet and uh, she was also married to a prophet elkanah and we learn from her the laws of prayer number five abigail abigail the wife of naval eventually what happens her husband dies and she marries King David, no less, King David. She's one of the wives of King David, Abigail. And number six, Hulda the prophetess, who lived at the time of the end of the first temple period, in the time of King Josiah, time of Jeremiah, the prophet Yirmiyahu. And number seven is Esther. So seven prophetesses. There were 48 prophets that we have now. The Talmud says there were millions of prophets. The truth is there are millions of prophets, and we know that the Tanakh talks about schools of prophets. However, not all the prophecies were written down for future generations. Only 48 prophecies were written down for future generations, and that's what the Talmud counts as prophets, 48 prophets. These are prophecies written down for future generations. In other words, the prophecies that were not for future generations, which were only for that particular generation, were not written down for future generations. And therefore, we only know of 48 prophets. We have the books of 48 prophets and the other prophecies were not written down. They were not concerned with future generations and therefore we don't list their names. We have no names of those prophets. Um, excellent. Okay, so the 48 male prophets, seven female prophetesses that we know about that are written down in our Tanakh. And we are going through a bit of the story of Devorah. What's interesting is her name. Devorah, the name Devorah has three meanings this is brought down the midrash uh brings down a lot of the midrashim over here which was a midrash 
which is uh, uh, said to be a midrash written by Eliyahu Navi. And he says over there that Devorah really means a bee. Devorah is a bee, and a bee has either honey or stings. So she gave honey to her people, the Jewish people, and she stung the enemy Canaanites. She stung them, she beat them, she beat their uh, king Yavin, and she beat Sisera, the general, uh, with, a, with the army, with Barak. And we're going to talk a bit about that. But that's the first meaning of the word is a bee. A bee has good parts, the honey, which she gave to her people. She nourished the Jewish people like honey. She gave them Torah. She gave them spirituality. She, gave, she nourished the Jewish people like honey. And the sting was reserved for the foes, for the enemy of the Jewish people. So she had a sting to her. And she had honey to her. The, th- the third explanation is the word Devorah comes from the word Davar. Dibur. She had the gift of Hashem speaking. She had the gift of Hashem, Hashem's speech. Her speech was fantastic. She could speak. She could inspire. She had, it says, her face would light up. Her husband's name was Lapidot, like a f- furnace, like a fire. And some people say it was really talking about her, her face. This is her husband's name is Lapidot because her face would shine like a torch when she would talk, when the Ruha Kodesh would inspire her and everyone was inspired that Barak says, I'm not going to fight the war without you next to me. I'm going to make sure you're with me because I know when you're with me, you can inspire the soldiers and you inspire them to victory. So her fire, she had inner fire. She had the inner fire, the, the ability to speak, the power of speech which was usurped by the enemy. The enemy, Yavan, Yavin, sorry, Yavin, the king of Canaanites and Sisera, were blaspheming against God. They were telling the Jewish people that your God is useless. You see, we can afflict you. He's sleeping. He's useless. So they spoke words of, of, of blasphemy, and she would speak words of Torah and give the Jewish people spirit. So Devorah is speech. There's a fourth explanation. Um, it's based on a pasuk that we say in the high, high holidays. And uh, it says, Yadber Amin Tachtenu. It's interesting. It's in Psalm 47. It's a psalm that most people have a minhag to repeat seven times before the blowing of the shofar. I remember many, you know, 30 years of uh, saying this psalm seven times. Seven times. Everyone's waiting for the shofar to be blown. We say this psalm seven times. And one of the lines in the psalm is Yadber Amin Tachtenu, that uh, the nations talking about the Canaanites will be under our dominion. So Devorah comes with Davar, Yadber Amin Tachtenu, Yadber, uh, that is dominion. She had dominion. She, so meaning number four, Devorah. So meaning number one is she was like a bee, which contains two meanings, honey that went to the Jews, the sting that went to the enemy. She was, uh, the, she had the power of speech. She was, uh, she was inspired by God to speak. Davar, Dibur, and Yadber Amin She had the power of dominion. She could control. She was powerful in terms of control. She controlled people. And she finally, she beat the enemy. So she had that power. So that's Devora. That's the meaning of the word Devora. And uh, it's interesting and she was the time of the judges judged. Okay, we're going to talk about that. So the, the enemy at that time was Yavin, king of Canaan, one of the kings of Canaan, and Sisera, his general. They were blaspheming against God. 
So it wasn't just, it says, uh, Pharaoh had 700 chariots and Sisera had 900 chariots. So Sisera's army was bigger than Pharaoh's army. Hard to imagine, right? It's 900 chariots, metal chariots, it says iron chariots. And he had this massive army. And the Midrash goes into more detail, massive, really massive army. And she was able to stand, but it wasn't just a physical oppression with armies and chariots. It was also a spiritual oppression where they were attacking our God, the power of Hashem. They were attacking the power of Hashem, telling the Jewish people, your God is impotent. He has no power to save you. See, we can afflict you and he has no power to save you. I remember the story of uh, in the Holocaust, one of, one of the great rabbis, where a German was oppressing him, and, he, and the German says to him, no, where is your God now? And the rabbi says, he's also your God. So it's very important to remember that, that when people blaspheme God, he's not just God who created us, he's also their God as well, they just don't recognize it. But he's their God, he's the God of the world, he's the creator of the world, the heaven and earth and everything in it. So Baruch Hashem, our God is powerful, and if Hashem is not the king now, we say in the morning prayers, Hashem Melech, Hashem Malach, Hashem Imloch Leolam Vayed. Hashem was the king, Hashem is the king, Hashem will be the king. So for some, he is the king. For some, he was the king. But for some, he will be the king. And we're going to wait for that day. That day, his name will be one. That means everyone in the world will recognize God as the king. Anyway, so these guys did not recognize God as the king. They were blaspheming against God. And so it's physical oppression and spiritual oppression. It's very similar to the other course, in a sense. Physical oppression and spiritual oppression. Yeah, God is useless, impotent. He cannot do anything to save you. And so what happened? Hashem has a sense of humor. As we all know, Hashem has a great sense of humor. Hashem says, you know what? You're so great, yeah? I'm going to deliver you guys in the hands of a woman. And let's see what you say about that. Huh? So, so you think you're so great. You're tough guys. And you think I'm impotent. You guys are going to be shown to me most impotent. That you're going to be destroyed by women. So, Devorah was uh, one of the people who destroyed this enemy. But the second one was Yael. Yael. We're going to talk a bit about Yael. Yael was the one who actually killed Sisera, the great general, who no one could deal with, who was impossible to deal with. And here is two women took on this mighty army, obviously with help from Barak, a little bit of help from the soldiers but because of divine inspiration and their own guts. And this is a lesson for the enemy. When they put us down, Hashem says, ha, 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 I'm laughing at you. I'm going to send two women to knock you out. Very simple. Anyone can knock you out. I can use the most weakest objects to knock you out. You think you're so great. It's like today, yeah? The Israeli army, they have the women in the army. So it's like, <laughs> it's like uh, you know, you, think, you guys think you're so great. You're so strong. And uh, we can knock you out. So even a woman can knock you out. Yeah, so today we can't really say anything like that because it's not PC. Yes, women are tough. Women are strong. Women can do it. And the first one to do it was Deborah. Deborah broke through the glass ceiling. She was the first woman who was not just a prophetess. Well, we had we a few women before that. We had Sarah, we had Miriam, and we have Deborah. But she was the first one to become a judge as well. Okay, we're going to talk a bit more about that. So that was the mockery, Hashem's mockery of Sisera and Yabin. They're mocking God, and Hashem said, I'll deal with you with, with, through two women who will deal with you. Don't worry. Okay, so who was Devorah? Who was Devorah? So the, this is, again, the Midrash Eliyahu Rabbah. 
chapter 9, the Midrash says, who was the Burak? Wasn't Pinchas ben Eliezer still alive in the time of the Burak? He was the high priest, Pinchas. You know, Pinchas was the son of Elazar ben Aaron, the grandson of, of Aaron. Pinchas had saved the Jewish people in uh, Pasha Pinchas. And, uh, and uh, Moshe Rabbeinu had, was saved by uh, Pinchas when the Jews were sitting with the daughters of Moab Midian. And Pinchas saved the day. So Pinchas over here was alive. So the countries asked, how come Hashem chose Devorah and not Pinchas? Pinchas was a prophet. Pinchas was a high priest. Pinchas was a leader. How come Hashem chose Devorah and not Pinchas? That's what the Midrash asked this question. Here we look at this beautiful Midrash. Hashem says, I give testimony in the heavens and the earth whether between the Jews, between the non-Jews, between a man, between a woman, whether a servant, a maidservant, you can be worthy of prophecy, everything according to a person's deeds. Anyone can be a prophet. A Jew, look what it says. A, a man, a woman, a Jew, Gentile, a slave, a slave girl, servants, Everything depends on a person's deeds. Because a person's deeds is the vehicle to Ruach HaKodesh. A person is a Sadiq, it's a good deeds, is already capable now. We're going to see other criteria. It's capable. So we see it's not just men who become prophets. Women also become prophets. It's not just Jewish men and Jewish women. There are also some non-Jewish prophets. You know, Bilam, the famous Bilam, was also a prophet. We see... Prophecy is not restricted to any one person, any one group. Prophecy is based on a person's deeds. So that's what the Midrash says of the amazing Midrash. It's, uh, there's no pre-selection by God who can be a prophet. Everything depends on what we do. If we are righteous in our lives and do the good deeds, well, today there's no prophecy, but a person can reach high levels of what's called Ruach HaKodesh, can get some divine inspiration, no question about it. Okay, so, so the question is, again, the question was not answered. How come Pinchas was not chosen? So the answer was, anyone can be a prophet, not just Pinchas. In other words, this is the lesson over here. Hashem says to us, I don't need Pinchas. Pinchas is good for what he does. I need someone else. And who's going to be chosen? I'm going to choose the person with the most best deeds. And who was the one with the best deeds at that time? Devorah, this prophetess, one of our seven prophetesses. And she, and, and she was chosen because she had, she was chosen by God. She was built for this purpose. She was built to take on these evil evildoers and show them the might of God through the power of a woman. Show the might of God through a power of a woman. They were putting us down. They're putting God down. Hashem said, I'll show you my power through the hands of a woman. Of course, they disparaged women in those days. And it was like the final insult to be killed by a woman, which we're going to talk about later on. We talk about Avimelech, who was the, one of the sons of Gidon, who was basically, he was uh, a Russia, he was evil. Even though his father was righteous, there's no guarantees. And it says he was, uh, he was killed by the hands of a woman. But before he died, he told his armor bearer, please kill me. I don't want people to say I was killed by a woman. It was like the final uh, uh, insult to be killed by a woman in those days. But that's why Hashem chose Deborah to insult these kings who thought they were so great. As I said, oh, you're going to be killed by the hands of a woman. The women are going to destroy you. So she was built for this purpose. The was 
this purpose, Hashem says, I could choose Pinchas, I'm going to choose Deborah. She's for this particular mission. So everyone has their mission in life. Uh, Pinchas had his mission, and Deborah has her mission. Hashem is going to choose Deborah. So Deborah was chosen for this mission. There's no doubt. All the prophets had to be prepared to be a prophet. It's not easy to be a prophet. It's a learning curve. There's a learning curve to be a prophet. A person can prepare for prophecy all their lives and not receive prophecy. Whereas a person can prepare, uh, can, it's interesting, there's a book called The Path of the Just. Now, people don't really realize what's the purpose of the path of the just. Mesilat Yisharim was written by the Ramchal, Ramoshe Chaim Luzato, a famous Italian rabbi who, unfortunately for him, lived straight after Shabbat Tzvi in the Shabbat Tzvi period. And he was, had Ruach HaKodesh from an early age of 17. He was saying he had a prophet. He had uh, uh, angels coming to teach him Kabbalah and visions. He had visions. And because it was just after Shabbat Tzvi, the rabbis were scared of him. They thought he was another Shabbat Tzvi. They put him in Cherem. They, they burnt all his books. And the poor fellow, even though he's a righteous Sadiq, anyway, he ran away. He went, went to Holland. And Holland, he had a little bit more free reign to say what he wanted. And he wrote about 60, 70 books that survived. Baruch Hashem. One of the most, one of the biggest Kabbalists after Arizal. One of the biggest, it says, the Vundagam, who's a great genius, the Vundagam said, he said, if I was alive at the time of Ram Moshe Chaim Luzato, I would crawl on my hands and, and feet to see him. I would crawl to see him. That's how great the Ramchal was. So Ramchal wrote a book in eight days. And his book is called Mesilat Yisrael, The Path of the Just. And at the end of the book, he says, this is the pathway to receive prophecy. If you do all these levels, you keep all these levels, which he talks about in the book, which is written in a very brilliant way. It's like a flowchart. You can read this book like a flowchart. I actually made a flowchart out of this book. It's a beautifully, beautifully written. In eight days, he wrote this book. It just shows how he knew the whole trial at his fingertips. He, he's quoting everything. Or in eight days, he writes a book. And this is the, the introduction to prophecy. If you do all these things, then he says, that's Hasaga. That's what you achieved. Whether you become a prophet or not is Gemul. Gemul means it depends if Hashem wants to give you prophecy or not. So as a prophet can prepare himself, prepare himself, prepare himself. Some prophets, they weren't prophets. They were preparing themselves all their lives to get prophecy and they never got it. The final thing is, does God want to give the prophecy or not? So some people are ready, but they get nothing. Some people are ready and they get, they were in the jackpot, spiritual jackpot. So it depends, as we said over here, it depends on person's deeds. Not just the deeds, obviously Hashem can see their thoughts. It also depends how big the ego is, because the bigger the ego, the worse the prophet is, because the person gets messages from God and they have to interpret the message. So a person who has a big ego, they're going to interpret the message according to their ego. It's like being a translator. I tell you, being a translator is such a powerful job because you can mistranslate, you can get cause havoc, with your translations, you have to be very, very precise when you translate and try and get the meaning of what the person is saying. But if you, you start adding and subtracting, then that's the ego of the translator, not the person who's talking. So the same thing applies to a prophet. And that's why it says, Moshe Rabbeinu's prophecy was like through a clear glass. What does that mean? He never had an ego. He never came at all through his ego. His ego did not interfere with his prophecy one bit. So if Hashem says he's going to die, he tells everyone I'm going to die. And he does. I'm going to die. And he knows he's going to die. He tells everyone he's going to die. The parasha of Vayelech says, Vayelech Moshe. So the commentary says, where did he go? 
So he's, he went to say goodbye to everyone. Imagine what a Sadiq. He went to say goodbye. He knows he's dying. He goes to say goodbye. He has the prophecy through a clear glass. All the other prophets had it through a frosted glass. What is this frosted glass? The frosted glass is the egos. They could not break through the barriers, even though they had very little ego. They had more ego than Moshe Rabbeinu. So it was considered a frosted glass, whereas Moshe Rabbeinu never had an ego at all. He subdued his ego completely. It was a clear glass. Anyway, so if you read, you see that in Shari, if you get to the end, he says, then he gets, this is the last stage before prophecy. But prophecy depends on Hashem. If he wants to give you or not, that's the lens Hashem you can prepare. So can you imagine there were millions of prophets at one time in Israel. Only the prophecies that were needed for future generations were written down, 48 male prophets and seven female prophets. So we find that even though Pinchas was alive and he was also a prophet, Hashem chooses Deborah because she was uniquely suited for this mission. So now the Rambam tells us in Chot Yesodeh HaTorah, what are the criteria to be a prophet? This is very fascinating. So he says, number one, Chacham Gadol. Person's got to be very wise. So obviously very learned. So you can imagine Devorah was very learned, although there is no mitzvah for a woman to learn Torah, apart from the practical mitzvot which she has to keep and do, and the halachot intertwined with them. She learned Torah, not, that, not just learned Torah, she was obviously on a very high level. She was hachama, isha hachama, hacham gadol. That's number one. Gibor mibidotav. Ezu gibor, the Mishnah says in Pirkei Avod, who is mighty, a person who can control themselves. The hardest thing in the world is to control oneself. And King Solomon says, in Mishlei, he says, a person who controls themselves is greater than a person who controls cities. A person who controls themselves is greater than a dictator. Imagine a dictator can control countries, millions of people. Say the great dictator of China. He's the president of China. Imagine a billion and a half people he can control. But if he can't control himself, he's not mighty. So it's, might is what you can do in terms of controlling one's own desires, one's lusts and one's whatever it is. Just controlling the power of speech is so hard. Controlling Lashon Hara is so hard. A person wants to say something and they control it. That's worth, that's a lot of points. A person gets tons of points for doing that. Controlling, say a person wants to eat this thing and it's so juicy and this. It's meat after milk or milk after meat, six hours. But I said, eh, I want to eat. I'm starving. It's only it's five hours. What's the problem? So that takes self-control. That self-control is worth a lot in God's eyes. That is a gibor, mighty person. That's number two. Number three, that a person is in total control of their evil inclination. The evil inclination never gets the better of them at all. That's a very high level. Okay, you say a person says, you know, I have a weakness in this area. And sometimes I fail. It's the evil inclination. I know I'm a human being. But a, a person who's a prophet cannot allow that to happen, even once. So it's, it's a learning curve. A person has passed this learning curve to be in total control of themselves, in control of their evil inclination. And number five is to have a very broad mind. What do you mean a broad mind? Because a prophet is going to see things which are out of this world. And a person who's very narrow-minded will say, ah, it's just a joke, it's a dream, it's not true. And they won't understand it's a vision. Hashem is telling them information through a parable. So it's very important for a prophet to have a very broad perspective on life and a clear vision. A clear vision means uh, it's called Sechel Yashar. 
a straight way of thinking, not a convoluted way of thinking, straight path of thinking. So a person, the Rambam says, a person who has all these traits, and they are healthy, shalem begufor, healthy, why? Because being a prophet is a very hard physically, why? Because when a person is in a meditative state, they are out of it. They are completely like in a trance-like state. They may go for days without eating and drinking. You know, Moshe Rabbeinu, I don't know how he did it, 40 days and 40 nights, he says, I never ate, I never drank. So we know there are conditions. We know that uh, the guys in well, the meditation, they can actually put their body on a vo- very low level of uh, using calories by meditating and in a trance-like state. The body sort of goes into semi-consciousness and it uses very little energy. They can last like that for I don't know how many days. It's possible. And Moshe Rabbeinu did it 40 days, 40 nights. So a person has to be physically very strong. Moshe Rabbeinu was physically, we don't really realize. Moshe Rabbeinu was physically mighty. He was a mighty man. He carried two tablets, massive tablets of stone. And uh, he beat this guy, this giant, Sihon, Og Melech Bashan, single-handedly. A miracle, but obviously he was very, very strong as well. People don't realize to be a prophet, you've got to be very strong. Because you've got to withstand these periods of trances without going mad and without losing bodily energy and we- feeling weak and not being able to do anything. It's interesting, it says Eliyahu Navi, for example. Eliyahu Navi runs away. We're going to get, hopefully, these are great stories, they're beautiful stories in Tanakh. Not enough people know them. Eliyahu Navi ran away from King Ahab and Jezebel. He ran away to Beersheba from, Kar- from Mount Carmel in Haifa. He ran away by feet. He ran away to Beersheba all the way in the south, from the north. And it says he was starving and the angel comes and whatever. The, 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 the birds give him food from the table of the king of Judah, which was glut kosher and very good food. And he doesn't want to eat. And the angel says, you better eat because you have a long journey ahead of you. You have to travel by foot to Har Sinai. So we see the prophets had to be physically tremendously strong, go for days without eating and drinking, and sometimes trance-like states. We don't know what it was like. And their minds had to be totally strong, that they're seeing surreality and they're seeing reality. They had to be able to split between reality and surreality. Know what's right, what's real, and what is a vision. Sometimes it becomes a person's mind becomes fogged. They're flipping backwards and forwards, reality, surreality. And these guys end up in asylums. These are the guys in asylums. They don't know the difference between reality and surreality. And it's interesting that uh, Moshe Rabbeinu could flip backwards and forwards in seconds. He could speak to God and speak to you and speak to God and speak to you. That's the unusual caliber of Moshe Rabbeinu's prophecy. We know there's no other prophet like Moshe Rabbeinu who is able to do that. So normally a prophet needs to go in a trance-like state. needs to go uh, have some music being played and find Elisha gets angry with the king of, of Judah and the king of Israel and he loses his prophecy. He says, please get me a musician so that I can get my prophecy back. So there's a, uh, it's, it's something which a person has to get build up to. You cannot be angry and be a prophet. A person loses their prophecy, a person can lose their wisdom as well through anger. Anyway, so a person has all these traits and he's, and he's physically strong, Rambam says, Shalem Begufor. When he learns about the Pardes, the Pardes is... Shat Remez Drash Sod is the, all the four aspects of the Torah, and they learn the Sod, which is the secrets of the Torah, is the Kabbalah. And they learn about uh, the heavens, the above, the dimensions above. 
with a clear mind and they sanctify themselves from the ways of the regular people and they want to cling to God and maybe they'll get prophecy. Those are the qualities to get prophecy. So we find that Devorah was on this level. Devorah was an amazing, a holy, very holy, pious woman who reached this level of prophecy. And she was so clearly a prophet that the Jews appointed her as the judge. That it's not you, it's not personal Devorah who is talking to us. It's not the ego of Devorah talking to us. It's the spirit of God in Devorah who's speaking to us, who is the judge that we accept as a, as a judge. So it's interesting. That's Devorah, her name. And, uh, and uh, that's the unusual character that she had. She was the only female judge we had in our history till today. And today there are female judges, but they don't have this quality of Ruach Kodesh, of prophecy that Devorah had. So that's interesting. She shattered this glass ceiling. And that's why she sat under the Tomer Devorah, the, the date palm of Devorah, because we said it's an issue of men going into a room with a, with a woman who is married, she's a married woman, and being alone with her. And so therefore she had her audience in public, under the date palm, and so no one suspect of anything, hanky-panky, she's under the date palm, it's a clear view of everyone, it's in public, and there's no issues over there. So it's interesting, because there's other symbolisms of the date palm. Um, it says, Sadiq Katamari Frach, Ke'eres Balebanon Yizgeb, Sadiq will bloom like a tamar, like a date palm. And then he says, like an Erez, like a cedar tree. But Lebanon, in the Lebanon. And Lebanon is famous for cedar trees. We know that uh, David Amelech and Shlomo Amelech had to import cedar trees to build this uh, temple, the uh, first temple. So, uh, so a righteous person, a tzaddik, is compared to a date palm. And a tzaddik is compared to a cedar tree. And which tzaddik is on a, a higher level? So you think the cedar tree is much higher than a date palm. And therefore that tzaddik is on a great level. So the railway said, no. The date palm is a lower tree and it has beautiful fruits and anyone can come and pluck those fruits. So that Sadiq is a person who teaches others, shares their knowledge, shares their righteousness with other people. That's a Sadiq like a date palm. The Sadiq like the Erez, cedar tree is a Sadiq who's unreachable. He's not there for others. He's not there to teach others. He's not there. For, he's just there for himself. And so there was two different kinds of Sadiqim. For example, Noah. Abraham and Noah. Abraham was a Tamar. Abraham was a Deipah. He shared, he shared his knowledge with as many people as, as, as possible. Whereas Noah, he was saved by the flood in his ark. He never influenced a single person to serve God. Maybe his, his own children, barely one, of, one out of three. And that's it. So there's two kinds of Sadiqim. And she was a Tamar. She was Tomer Deborah. She was the palm tree who shared her knowledge. In fact, she was the main spiritual motivator of the people of Israel this time. Imagine she, what a burden she had. She was learned. She was chosen as a judge. She was a prophetess. And she was like the spiritual leader of the Jewish people at that time. Very, she shattered all the glass ceilings for a woman at that time. And till today, probably. She, 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 she was also, she joined the general Barak in a war. So she broke through all the barriers 
And it's not because she wanted to break through the barriers. She was chosen by God. And it was, everyone could see it. Everyone could see it. Her, her face was shining. She was a prophetess. She could inspire people through her words. They just wanted to appoint her. You are chosen. You are the one who's going to lead us. You are the one we're going to come to. If we have questions in Alakha, the questions of Jewish law, we're going to come to you because God speaks through you. That's why. So it's not like today we're going to have to go and be elected. Okay, I want some woman. It's a PC, this and that. No, she was chosen through the power of her greatness. Her greatness shone through all the way. Through. So that's the power. So why is Tomer the Warab? The aspect of a Tamar. She had the aspect of a Tamar. Her fruit was low. She shared her fruit, her knowledge with the Jewish people around her. She was the spiritual leader. And she, there was no issues of uh, Yehud, of being alone with the opposite sex. And uh, it's also um, a, a hint. The, the Midrash says amazing things. It says the palm tree has very few branches. And doesn't give good shade because the leaves are very thin. The date palm does not give good shade. So it says the shade of a generation are its rabbis, are its great leaders, are its great tzaddikim. Uh, and that generation was like a palm. Had no great leaders apart from her and Pinchas. There was no one else to talk to. No one was teaching Torah. You know, this is one of the big failures of the generation of the judges. This 400 years of judges period was a tremendous uh, failure because the judges would not go travel from place to place or appoint teachers who would travel from place to place. You know, this was the mission of the Levites. The Levites were not given land. They were not allowed to be farmers. Well, they weren't meant to be farmers, but they were given 48 Levitical cities. What happened is the Levites, unfortunately, just stayed in their cities and they became farmers as well. So instead of going around teaching the people and there was no central authority supervising this fact the Sanhedrin should have been there was always a Sanhedrin each tribe had their own Sanhedrin but they did not enforce this uh, people going around teaching different places there's no outreach there's no inreach um, there's no Chabad in those days <laughs> so there, was, there was no one to do outreach to the Jewish people and that was the failure of the time of the judges the period of the judges was a failure the first one it says Shmuel the prophet the son of Hana would actually go from place to place. He would take his tent, take his own uh, food, because a judge is not allowed to take anything from anyone else because it could be accused of bribery. He was a judge. He would camp in different localities. I think that was a system, say, in America in the old days, the traveling courts, right? The, the traveling judges, they would go from place to place and they would have a day in a town uh, for judgment, uh, traveling courts. And that's the period of the judges where they should have had traveling courts they should have had traveling rabbis teaching people. Unfortunately, they failed in this mission to teach the Jewish people. And that's why we had all these years of uh, we are being attacked by enemies, rebelling against God, idolatry, because there was a lack of spreading knowledge. And this is what Devorah did. So it says her generation is like the palm tree. There's no shelter. There's no great rabbis. She was the one who appointed people to teach in different localities. That's what the Midrash says. She was the one who appointed. She was the spiritual leader of the generation. Imagine, the chief rabbi is a woman. Imagine, the chief judge is a woman. The chief, uh, uh, what else? Uh, chief prophet was a woman. Amazing, amazing, amazing. Great. Devorah was, I guess, the greatest Jewish woman who lived in, in many contexts. So everything is relative. But in many contexts, she was probably the greatest woman who ever lived. You know, I never really appreciated Devorah until... I had to prepare for this class. 
now I appreciate her much more um, than ever before. So Devorah, this great woman, this tremendously great spiritual leader, this tremendously great teacher, this tremendously great judge, this prophetess who led us in victory against our enemies, a spiritual victory, a physical victory, who enabled Jewish people to survive for future generations by teaching the Torah. So the Torah should not be forgotten. So she led, and this is not so clear from the text, but the Midrash should bring down, the Targum of Yonatan Benazil. Oh, you've got to read this, Targum of Yonatan Benazil. In chapter 5 of Judges, verses 9 to 10, I just want to read you what he says. She made an educational revolution. Devorah led an educational revolution in the spiritual level of the Jewish people. She worried to make sure that the laws of the Torah were taught around Israel. She, was, she made sure the Jewish people were due to Shuvah. I guess she sent around people who, to tell people how to be Jewish and teach them the right path. She, she was not content with just her own deeds. She would send messages throughout the land to teach Torah to Israel. And that's what the Targum of Yonatan says. Amazing. She was also an educator par excellence, or at least the executor of the educational system, this radical new educational system that even Joshua failed to do, unfortunately. Even Joshua, the great judge, and maybe it was good at his time, but in, there was no content, continuity. So she was one of the judges who enforced education the most, probably the most, until the time of probably Samuel Shuel, the prophet. And uh, so it's interesting. She was also very wealthy. Uh, Tanakh tells us she was very wealthy. And this is also brought down by the Targum Yonatan Benazir. Yonatan Benazir, by the way, the um, Hillel, Hillel, Hillel the Elder, we all know about Hillel, the famous Hillel, Hillel Shammai. Hillel the Elder had 80 students. And the greatest of his students is Yonatan ben Uziel. Yonatan ben Uziel is buried in Amuka, which is uh, today a lot of people who go there, uh, especially singles, they go there. It's one of the sigulots to get married. They go to Amuka. It's called Amuka, but it's very amok. It's very deep in a valley, and you've got to go around that, that road, Baruch Hashem. That road has been repaved by a, a very generous American. Uh, he paid for it to be repaved, but nevertheless, it's a very narrow, winding road. It goes all the way down into the valley, and that's where the greatest student of Hillel is buried, Rabbi Yonatan ben Uziel, and he has a commentary on the whole Tanakh, parts of which were censored because they're too explicit about Mashiach. So interesting, um, it was censored by the rabbis because they didn't want us to know exactly what's going to happen exactly on the dot. Apparently his, his commentary was so clear that it was censored. Anyway, so he says over here that she was very wealthy. He says that Deborah was very wealthy. And she never took a penny for any of her tasks. So she was the educator, not a penny. Judge, not a penny. Uh, a leader, not a penny. A prophetess, not a penny. She wouldn't take a penny from anyone. She was independently wealthy, which again is one of the Jewish criteria to be a judge. You cannot be a judge if you take people, money from people because then you, you can't judge them. So she was independently wealthy and that's why she could be a judge. She was very wealthy. And it says she, she dwelt in the city of Atarot, which interesting, I just passed today, uh, a signpost on the new highway, the Begin Highway, uh, going north, which leads you to Ramot, 
but it also leads you to a place called Atarot, which is where, if it's the same place, I think it is, where Devorah lived. That was a house in Atarot. And she had her own way of sustenance. She had palm trees. She had uh, orchards. She had lots of olive trees. And she had lots of uh, uh, water. There was wells and streams. And uh, so she was very wealthy. So interesting. To be a judge, a Jewish judge, you had to be wealthy, dependently wealthy, because you weren't allowed to take money from anyone else. In those days, there's no system to pay judges, a central authority to pay the judges. This way, people shouldn't feel that they own the judge and they can get away with everything. So she was very wealthy, which is one of the conditions for being uh, a prophet. Also, uh, the Gemara brings down, the Ram doesn't bring it down, the Gemara brings down, one of the conditions to be a prophet is Ashir. I guess a prophet cannot be a prophet, he has to go to work, can I defy he has to have time to sit down, or she has to have time to sit down and meditate and learn, get close to Hashem. And if you're busy working, you have no time to do that. Anyway, so now we find that she is very wary of going to fight. Now, women are not allowed to carry weapons in Jewish law in those days. Why? Because a weapon was considered uh, garments of a man. A woman are not allowed to wear garments of a man. Men are not allowed to wear garments of a woman. Weapons were considered garments of a man. In fact, till today, a lot of uh, authorities say women are not allowed to have weapons except for self-defense, except for self-defense. So again, depending where they live, danger, self-defense. Otherwise, weapons are considered to be garments of a man. And so therefore, she did not fight. She calls Barak. She calls this guy Barak. Barak ben Avinoam. Barak today became a very famous uh, Hebrew name. We have a general called Barak. It's named after Barak. This is, they took the name Barak from this. Barak also means lightning. Barak means lightning. He was very strong. He was swift. He was like lightning. He was a man like lightning. He was called Barak. In fact, I just had to fix my roof. And who, who fixed it? This guy called Barak. This company called Barak. Uh, so uh, Barak is a very famous name. Um, he was the first one called Barak. Barak ben Abinoam. And... Uh, she tells Barak, Hashem wants you to lead the Jewish army against Yavin and Sisera. And Barak says, I'll only come if you come with me. I'll only go to the war if you come with me. And we'll talk about that next week. So please join me to finish the story of Devorah. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.